Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And we are going to be talking about a number of uh, comedic things today with a review to finally making a living in situation comedy. Ways into comedy in response to some uh, questions that we've had um, via Patreon, Facebook and uh, Twitter. And also we're going to end up talking about whether it's a good idea to make your own sketch which is something we've talked a bit about before, but yeah. the landscape has changed slightly, has it not? Yep, yes. Because you've, think... you've been watching a few because of the Writers Guild. Award. I have. I've seen a lot in the last couple of weeks, so um, we'll come to that a little bit later. The do's and don'ts. Yeah. Um, and yes, so let's... Uh, but we, we, we begin with very sad news. Um, which... We're recording this a couple of days after the death of comedian Sean Hughes, hmm. which, um, who is a fellow that Dave had got to know quite well. So, Dave, wh- how are you feeling at the moment? Well, it's uh, pretty much a, a shock, really, for all of us. Um, I've known Sean for 30 or so years that he's lived in uh, England. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was a great stand-up, and most people, uh, most of you will know him for his uh, show, which was really quite groundbreaking, his Channel 4 sitcom, Sean's show, um, which was kind of like a, an extension of all the comedy that he used to do. It, was, it, it comes from the, the sort of the, the, the world of deconstruction, I suppose, really, um, which uh, has always been with us, of course, uh, Greek tragedies and Shakespeare, whatever, but he uh, took a great sort of joy in that. And there was something about the kind of, I guess, the sort of um, surreal Irish humour that he kind of brought to that as well. Um, and um, yeah, so it, it was still quite a shock. He was, he, he, Sean, for all his success, he never uh, did all the things that most a lot of comedians do who've been around and well known for a long time he never did any of the uh was always asked to do the various uh shows the reality shows and whatever but he he kind of stuck to his own path fairly solidly i remember he said when he was 13 he saw richard pryor and that was a sort of life-changing moment for him and uh, a lot of people it's yeah. richard pryor isn't it of all people yeah. it's richard yeah. pryor mm, definitely um, yeah and uh, I suppose the only, I guess, also a lot of people remember him from uh, Nevermind the Buzzcocks as well. Oh, yes, Where of course, he was, yeah. mm-hmm. in one sense, much more longer running and mm. uh, with a longer legacy, as it were. Um, but actually, you know, our sitcom geeks particularly will go back to Sean's show mm. as a sort of much loved, actually rather quickly forgotten show mm. that has not been repeated as far as as far as I can remember. No, don't think so. The only bits of it I can remember loving um, was how I think there was always a bit where whenever the phone used to ring, he used mm. to turn jazz up very loud. Right. And then answer the phone and say, oh, I'm sorry, I have to turn the jazz down and then go off and turn the yeah. jazz music down because trying to show whoever was phoning him that he was a cultured person who listened yeah. to jazz. Um <laughs> And uh, I did, I did, I did rewatch an episode a year or two ago, actually, and it was still quite uh, satisfying. Yeah. But there was the pub that was sort of across the studio from his flat, and right. it was, it was, in many ways, the Gary Shandling show, and, and none, none the worse for it. No, I mean, he he happily admitted that it was uh, quite quite heavily influenced by uh, Gary Shandling's show, but it was a uh, that the premise was slightly different. The premise was, you know, I'm trying to live my life. Uh, in my house and 
have problems with relationships, but uh, somebody keeps trying to put a sitcom on in my house. So that's uh, so. Obviously, it was the point yeah. that Windsor Davis was in a bar right. of beans yeah, or yes, something. Yeah, yes. Was Windsor Davis in it every week? Uh, I think so. Yes. Okay. I, again, uh, it's a long time since I've seen it, but yeah. I, I definitely remember Windsor Davis and the Bath of Beans. Um, so, so yes. Yeah, so it kind of uh, it was memorable, as you, mm. as you can tell, um, just from what we were saying there. Uh, in, in the last few years, I mean, he did various. He got various uh, acting jobs. He was a very, a very good straight actor. Um, but he, in the last few years, he kind of went back to doing stand-up shows, and uh, he, he uh, not not the first uh, stand-up to do a show about um, the death of his father, and certainly not the last. But um, yeah. you know that the fact that everybody does it doesn't always mean that they do it well and uh, I, I didn't see that show but I know it got very uh, very good reviews and was very popular and it, it, it kind of uh, boosted him I think as well because he'd been um, he'd been out of the kind of comedy loop for a while so he, he, uh, and he and he probably I think he did about three or four new shows in the last sort of couple of years last few years and you know he just he, he stuck to doing the stuff that he wanted to do Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people go full circle on... They start out doing stand-up because they're funny and it's a way mm. into the world of comedy. And then they do all the other things. So he yeah. then you know, did his own sitcom, which did quite well. And then he was on a panel game, which presumably was a lot mm. of fairly easy money for, quite, for as long as he wanted it. Yeah. And then they mm. discover that the thing that they wanted to do was the thing they'd started doing, and they go back to... Exactly. I mean, we exactly. talked to Pete Sinclair last week about how yeah, Jack D, Jack after D, doing yeah. Lead Balloon, realised that he wanted to go back and do... Mm. Uh, mm. Go back and do stand-up. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, and he was just actually, you know, I saw Sean literally about so three or four weeks ago, and he was. We were talking about a new show that he's been doing, which which was that he's been. Um, he gets a group of people, not stand ups, but but people from various walks of life, uh, and they they improvise a novel, uh, improvising a novel on stage, which sounded brilliant, and I was uh, sounding. Uh, excited and keen to go to see one of them, but um, sadly, it's not going to happen. So that's um, Sean Hughes, who um, we'll, we salute you, we remember you, mm. um, we are inspired by you, Sean, um, and thank you very much. Yeah. And it's thank very you. sad to see someone that talented uh, leave us so early. Mm. Um, he got into comedy through the stand-up route, and this is my attempted segue onto the next way, which is the performance stand-up route is a good way in. Yes. Um, I'm just trying to think of... I mean, Ben Elton used to say that he did stand-up because he wanted to be a comedy voice and that right. he saw it as a means to getting writing work. Yeah. Um, yes. So that's one way in. But um, we've had uh, someone called Beyond Castaboros. I have Who is no actually... Idea. Well, it is actually... He, he's uh, asked this question before. It's Christian Crawley. Uh, right. And, uh, so he says, yeah. um, "How we know how Dave got started in comedy. But really? Do I go on about it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> how did James get yeah. his foot in the door? How did that era of comedy entrance differ to Dave's? And how are these times different and similar today? Well, we'll talk about video uh, in a moment, which was not an option open to either of us when no. we started at respective yeah. times. Um my way in was very much the Radio 4 writing route, um, an element of um, writing, performing, in that I did an Edinburgh show in 99, 
uh, called Infinite Number of Monkeys, which was nominated for a Perrier Best Newcomer Award. Um, and soon after that, I got a sitcom on Radio 4 called Think the Unthinkable. Um, and I was also writing sketches for Weekending, and then also I happened to know Sally Phillips, which helped um, get some sketches on Smack the Pony, uh-huh. And there are all these little... Now you see all the forums will say, see James Carey, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Exactly, he yes. everywhere because he yes. knew Sally Phillips. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I know Sally Phillips because she and I are Christians and you know how terrible it, you know, you know how much easier life is for Christians to get ahead <laughs> in this uh, secular liberal comedy world. Yeah, well, of course it's very difficult because as you know, the, the Jews control all the media. I do, exactly. So, uh, but um, so we do occasionally let one or two of you in. <laughs> yes, that's right, yeah. So, um, so that was kind of my way in, sort of leapfrogging uh, onto, you know, sketch comedy to, uh, to sitcom really. So sketches is where most people start out. Um, or at least in the past that's been the case and you look at back at the likes of Andy Hamilton and you know was writing sketches Richard Curtis was writing sketches with Rowan Atkinson David Renwick was writing sketches for the two Ronnies mm-hmm. as was John Sullivan the only people who don't seem to fit into that kind of mould are the likes of Carla Lane um, mm-hmm. who I don't think was writing sketches for anybody yeah. went, went in through a different into a different route. I think there was, um, well, the, the Radio 4 route has been a, a, a very successful route for 40 or 50 years, I think. And I do remember certainly 10, 15 years ago, people were saying, oh, it's, uh, it's over for radio. The internet is going to change everything. And obviously in many ways it has, but incredibly, radio is just, it just keeps going. Yeah. And it, go, it keeps going in the same way uh, as it did, there was a very brief period where there were no shows that had access for new writers, mm. but then good old Writers Guild of Great Britain uh, kicked up a stink about it, and then so the BBC yeah. gave in and said okay, and then various shows came along, of which the current one is, of course, Newsjack, a series just finished. Um, and Newsjack is follows in the great tradition of Weekending and uh, various other shows that um, bring on new writers. Yeah. Uh, so radio is still a very strong way in. One well, thing we're going to talk about news biscuits in a moment. Yeah. But just before that, the other thing that Radio Four do, if you look at the last fifteen or twenty shows that they've commissioned in the last round, mm. they're all young uh, writer performers uh, who are on the comedy circuit, um, being given kind of the next stage of their yeah. career possibly as well. So it's not just the. Uh, open door sketch shows but it is also the um, you know if you do a good Edinburgh show or you know start to show a bit of promise there is a you know not an unrealistic chance of getting three 15 minutes on Mm. on Radio 4 which is what the pin did and now are doing half hours and their stuff is very good and there are other stuff you know that's that's in the pipeline from from other writer performers if you get a sketch on Newsjack and then you get another sketch on Newsjack uh, you're going to get to the attention of the people who make Newsjack and you will eventually find yourself in a room uh, in the BBC um, surrounded by lots and lots of people whose job it is to make comedy. Yeah. Uh, BBC comedy producers, they make loads and loads of shows. So, um, Including the former producer of this show, Katie Storey, who right. has um, ended up writing sketches for Newsjack. Uh-huh. And uh, I think she again ended up getting called in to do a day. Right. And then she had a couple of sketches on the actual show. Fantastic. Um, Katie Story, we salute you. 
Um, yes. But so she's. And give us a job, please. Give us a job. <laughs> Just when, like we did to you when yeah, you were starting. You, you were down on your luck. When we, we took you in. When you're head of comedy in 15 years' time. Yeah. Um, please look on us favourably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but then there's this news biscuit thing. Maxine yeah, Jones Maxine has asked Jones. us for our Patreon, has yes. she asked. Uh, and if you want to, uh, if you like uh, sitcom geeks, and uh, well, it'd be a bit weird if you didn't. You're listening to this now, unless yeah, you're and if a good few minutes in. Yeah, um, but uh, do um, do help, uh, do become a patron and um, support us because uh, that's fun and it's great for us too. Other goodies uh, which we'll uh, talk about oh coming yes. up later. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah. And um, but uh, Maxine has uh, is um, joined us through Patreon, and she uh, asked about uh, the site News Biscuits, which you may have heard of, started by uh, John O'Farrell, another person who started writing sketches on Weekending, um, now a, a very uh, hot, top-selling author, um, and amongst other things. But so, so News Biscuit uh, is like a sort of spoof news site, and of course uh, Daily Mash, uh, which has been going for years and years, um, became a, a TV show this year. So. Um, is it worth writing for these uh, these the, these sites? Maxine asks, and quite clearly, it is worth writing for uh, things like the Daily Mash and uh, News News Biscuit. Um, people are taking notice of them. It's it is a it's a very hard skill. Um, it's a, it, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, especially for the Daily Mash, there's two or three people who run it, and they've they've seen every version of every story um, hundreds of times. So you know you've got to be very very original, find a very original way in to writing the stories. Um, so it it sort of feels like oh yes, that's a, possibly an easy way in, but you know you do it's it's like anything. If you want to try that way, right, just writing spoof news stories, um, then you know really. It's, it's like anything. Learn what the, the form is. See what everyone else is doing. Mm. Make sure the idea you have is original. And so, and again, it's the same as like when you're thinking of a joke and the, the, the first joke you think of is probably the one that 100 people have already done on Twitter. So you have to go beyond that and think, think beyond those jokes. But yes, it's, uh, that, 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 that is a growing area, I think. But it's a long way between, Maxine and her question is asking about she says, why, why my flurry of killer tickers earlier this year hasn't landed me a sitcom commission? I mean, they, they're, they're quite a long way apart on the comedy ladder, if you, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, you need to be able to write good one-liners if you are going to be a successful sitcom writer, in our view, although lots of sitcoms seem to be eschewing having actual jokes in them, but that's a discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a way of getting... Yeah, it's like doing your scales for the piano, isn't it? It's yeah. just a way of exercising those muscles, getting used to it, mm-hmm. um, getting a start, and you don't know who you're submitting those sketches to or those those links to, those uh, tickers, those uh, one-liners to, because they will end up producing longer-form stuff in the future, and if you like them, if they like you, they will send for you. Yeah. And um, there's quite a lot of, you know... Uh, you know, people are sort of forming new comedy tribes all the time. Because don't forget, a new producer doesn't have any existing writers to draw on that they have relationships with. They want to find new voices. They want to find new writers. They want you. They want you. As a new recruit. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so bear in mind that they are looking for talent. 
rather mm-hmm. than trying to find excuses for um, not replying to your emails. Yeah. So you want to give them every possible cause to um, get back in touch with you and, and uh, offer you encouragement, more work, paid commissions, and all that follows on. Yeah. Um, so we've also had a question from um, Johnny Addy um, on Facebook, who is a member of our Facebook group. Do uh, like us on Facebook. He asks about transferring from theatre. He's been talking to some theatre background people, and he is um, wondering what the crossover is like and whether should whether wannabe sitcom writers explore the world of theatre or is it better to focus on getting sitcom scripts written? Uh, we talked a little bit about this, uh, didn't we, last week with, uh, with Pete... Uh, Pete Sinclair and uh, just that the um, the way that sitcom I mean sitcom started uh, it originated from theatre a lot most of the writers well, you interviewed Eric Chappell didn't mm. he? he started in, in theatre a lot of sitcom writers started in theatre sitcom was was like a one act play for years um, and I think it's great if theatre writers are now yeah. looking at sitcom because We've um, we've lost, I think, um, some of the skills, some of those uh, skills that were developed in, in the, the search for jokes. Having said that, there aren't that many jokes now, but there's certainly, I would say, the last 20, 25 years, the emphasis has been on uh, laughs over storyline. Yes, think? to some extent, although I think it's now the pendulum has swung the other way yeah. from a single camera point of view. Um, and I, I suppose I'm meaning in an from an audience yeah. sitcom point of view because a, th- a theatre writer uh, knows about writing for an audience. So uh, yeah. yes, in terms of audience sitcom, definitely. Yes, it seems hard to imagine a world in which a show like Steptoe or Hancock would be commissioned now mm. with that level of sort of pathos and jokes. And it also feels like um, uh, my, Richard, my writing boss, pointed out that any studio show these days pretty much has to be aimed at a family and if it's not aimed at a family then no one's going to be terribly interested in watching it mm-hmm. and you don't get the workplace studio sitcom like perhaps you used to with you know yes prime minister or, or right. blackadder or um vicar of dibley or and these sorts of other things um so i think it makes it harder for sit for studio sitcom writers anyway and therefore given that theatre writers might not be interested in in what seems to some to be a culturally backward form of comedy anyway mm-hmm. um, um, you know I, I, I don't know but I, and I, I would argue that one of the missing uh, paragraphs from Ben Elton's uh, lecture about studio comedy is the fact that I don't think theatre is necessarily um, pushing people towards writing studio sitcoms mm. in a way that it used to, but that's partly because theatre has changed, rep theatre yeah. has declined, mm. and most theatres are now running tribute acts and yeah. um, and big comedians off Mock the Week. and Jukebox musicals. Yeah, and then stuff that's written for the National or the Royal Court, which is obviously yeah. of a very different flavour to... Mm. Um, so the kind of the... Uh, the sort of... The more... I'm going to say domestic kind of comedy or farce, the sort of stuff that Eric Chappell would have written that became duty-free, for example. Mm, yeah. I don't know whether there is any market for that kind of theatre. Um, and we've also talked about, in, uh, before in previous episodes, about how that um, the, the performers aren't there as well. The, the, the people who used to do, uh, the, the skills that, that 
used to be uh, used for repertory theatre so that you'd be doing uh, Shakespeare two days a week and then in, in the afternoon you'd be doing a matinee for the kids and then you'd be doing a Tennessee Williams play for three days and mm. then you'd be doing a week of a Harold Pinter play. So that, that the kind of skills that, that actors picked up mm. um, are not so much there now. Again, because we are more... Um, geared towards stand-ups getting mm. their shows. So the performers, they're great performers of being themselves, but they're not they're not great character actors. Mm. And probably people like sort of David Jason, the kind of last generation really, aren't they? Yes, yes, very much. I, I would I would go David Jason and before that obviously Ronnie Barker and mm. Leonard Rossiter would yeah. be the obvious mm-hmm. um big big uh, guns like that. I guess Peter Bowles and people like that who are mm. still doing theatre and Penelope Keith and yeah. Those folks sort of know, but that's very much from a previous era. Yeah. Um, I suppose Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders, uh, as as far as the sort of the world of stand up goes, uh, they weren't so much stand ups. I suppose more uh, a, a, an act, hmm. but they they have some of those skills beyond just playing themselves. I think. Yeah. Um, if you have written a script, though, a um, question from Paul Lamb on Facebook says, should you send a script directly to the BBC or seek out a friendly producer first? I, I wouldn't send the script directly to the BBC unless the BBC Writers' Room are mm. having a particular um, sweep for sitcom scripts, which they do they for do. a month every year or yeah. so. They don't uh, advertise when it's going to be, so it's sort of relatively short notice that you find out. Um, so, but but always keep an eye out. So they, um, um, again, the BBC Writers Room are trying to find comedy writers. Mm. So they want you to succeed. So that is worth doing. Yeah. However, sending it generically to the BBC is a, is a waste of time. And overall, you want to find someone. The advice I always give is to find a producer who makes comedy that you like. Mm and that you think might like what you have written. Especially if it's radio, um, because radio producers are are going to become TV producers, whereas TV producers already have all their people and they're probably um, having spending two and a half times as much hours in, as there are in the day just trying to get their stuff made with the people they like. So mm. even if they love you, they might not have much time for you. Or as much time for yeah. you. But having said that, you know it's you just want to you 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 might send them the right script at the right time that doesn't necessarily get picked up, but they realise that you as a writer can help them with something that they've not managed to succeed, or they might think, yeah. oh, this person would write really well for this comedian who I've been trying to work with, and it's not quite working. So you don't know what the consequences of sending it to a producer, TV or radio, will be. But in the first instance, I would always send it to a person rather than a corporation or a company. Yeah. Do check up the Writer's Room site. I can't remember the exact site, but there are uh, job opportunities uh, listed and occasionally there'll be a a comedy one. So go and look at those, um, go and look at that page on Writer's Room uh, occasionally. One, uh, just one other thing that um, that Johnny Addy asked, he talks about writing for children's TV. And that is possibly uh, that's an area that is that hasn't quite been as hacked back as much as uh, other areas. I was going to say an area that's been expanded, but it's probably stayed the same, so it feels like it's expanded. But uh, he mentioned that the the um, children's audience sitcom uh, Justin's House, um, and um, 
that there are that, that that seems to be children's TV seems to be one of the ways another another way into writing for comedy, uh, writing comedy full time. Um, although if you're having writing, said that, <laughs> there's only really the BBC making comedy, and there's you know maybe two or three shows who use probably between five and eight writers. Mm. And they already know who four of them are going to be. So there are limited slots, but they are well worth investigating. Um, Disney make a bit of stuff. I've been talking to somebody who's been working for them recently. The only mm. downside, I would say, is that people that the children's comedy people are very defensive about writing for children. And they have convinced themselves that people who write for grown-ups think that writing for children will be easy and they are at pains to point out how difficult it is to write for children uh, to the point where it will feel and has to me at times felt like you are being chronically patronised. Mm-hmm. And so when I pitched a new show at CBBC um, a few years ago, I got an incredibly patronising response to the point where I just thought, oh, forget it, I'm not even going to bother following this up. Right. Um, so CBBC have a tendency to do that. I'm Obviously, they don't mean to. They love the idea of working with writers who also write for grown-ups. But when it comes down to it, um, they um, they have a bit of a problem trying to, you know, let you express yourself. But having said that, you know, they have parameters which they have to work with. And it is a brilliant experience. I've written a few episodes mm. of kids' shows and have been very glad for that. I would look at the CBBC, CBBC websites um, and you'll see what an incredible range of shows they yeah. do. I think that the, the issue is that, that of very much that you're writing, you sort of think you're writing for, say, 8 to 12-year-olds or you're writing for 5 to 8-year-olds. And, and there are, there are certain uh, rules that you have to follow. But it is... If something's funny, uh, I've been I've been lucky enough to work on horrible histories, and though that was aimed at eight to twelve year olds, it, it appealed from five years old upwards, and and frequently won awards in adult categories yes. for best sketch show. Partly because you're parodying music stars that the children have no idea of. <laughs> My kids have no idea that they already know what Morrissey sounds like, but well, they know the Charles Dickens song, and so yeah. that they. Uh, that's a great thing. Horrible Histories is not just about teaching history. It's also, and Richie, who writes all the music, said, you know, he's on a mission to teach them about music styles yeah. that they don't know about. So Quite often uh, when our kids get a, get a song in their heads, we do play them a song which sounds like the one that's being... Yeah. Although that's quite hard to do in the case of the Charles II song, which starts like an Eminem song, <laughs> yeah. which is unfortunately not playable no, to... Uh, you don't really want your kids to be hearing about... Slim uh, Shady. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, well, at least, you know, that's yeah. for my kids. Mm. Um, so, uh, but another way of making your material, your comic presence felt or stand out is to make your own sketch. Yeah. And things have now never been easier. That's right. Um, it's still not easy though in the past we've talked about should I make my own should I shoot my own sitcom to which my answer is usually I really wouldn't bother mm-hmm. um, making Agreed. your own sketch is probably worth considering mm-hmm. um, especially if you have a clear filmable simple idea mm-hmm. that you can execute Yeah. Um, and a good example of that before we get on to um, uh, to uh, Dave's uh, particular reflections are there's a uh, how animals eat their food yeah. uh, sketch for, which is about four or five years old and it's about mm, two minutes 
it's about eight really good jokes in a row, very clear and simple premise. Yeah. And it's probably had, you know, 10 million, 20, 30, 40 million hits. Yeah. So if you get it right, you know, these guys are nobodies and I've never seen them since. Maybe they have a career, but... But um, so there is potential there. It can be done. Mm. To me, it's surprising how infrequently it is done. And Dave is about to explain why, because people break simple rules. Well, I think, well, first of all, I would say uh, it's being done more. And there are uh, good ways um, of, of the, the, the reason why it's, it's happening more is good. First of all, I uh, mentioned the Writers Guild. Now, the Writers Guild have awards. We've done shows about the awards for the best radio and best TV. And they've got a new award um, starting this year for best online comedy. And um, the, one of the main uh, defining points of what, 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 what constitutes the online comedy uh, show is it has to be um, uh, no longer than 10 minutes. So we're not talking about big sitcom episodes um even 10 minutes is very long though, isn't it, it is yeah most of the ones that i've seen i've seen quite a few most of them are in the sort of two to three minute mm. area which is a good area there's one <clears throat> uh, one that i did see that was about 10 minutes that was great and uh that they um it's it, it's easier to make them now the costs of making them uh keep going down and, and the quality of the the equipment to make things is going up so obviously you don't want to rely on technology technology doesn't make jokes but it certainly uh doesn't help if you're watching something that looks bad and the sound is horrible so yes although a decent joke will transcend that it does tend to that's true uh but the quality is going up and the the other thing thing that's happening and it'll happen more i think these things feed into each other the the fact that the guild is having an award um some of the bigger companies like big talk and tiger aspect are finally starting to use online comedy as a kind of development tool so now that uh, there isn't there isn't the money that there was even say 10 years ago Mm. where a sort of promising uh new person would be sent off to write their own sitcom script uh probably starring them but they are now at least given a small pot of money to make their own two or three minute uh film so uh, there are a lot of performers out there probably not many of them that skilled as writers but new up-and-coming performers who uh would be worth tracking down i think Mm. uh if you know performers that you like you've seen them and you've seen them do like a good 20 minute uh stand-up set and they're not somebody who's the flavor of the month they're 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 just starting out they are worth contacting and you like them obviously if you can think of an idea for a, a sketch for them to do then there's a possibility that you could go with them and team up with them and go to to one of these companies maybe and and um pitch idea an idea or some ideas it's a good idea because i can imagine if you're an up-and-coming performer and you're starting to get a few options and you think that you should be making your own youtube material and someone comes along and says hey i've got a sketch and i'm going to film it and edit it and make it look great then that's quite an easy thing to say yes to Mm. so if you think about it from their point of view as long as your idea is good and it looks like you're going to make something that's good and you're going to collaborate in a way that they're happy with I would say that's well worth doing. So that's something I'd not thought of before, but that sounds like and it's never been easier to contact people like mm. that because of Twitter and Facebook and everything. So um, if well you think about, doing. say, two or three years ago when people say, what well, if I, I know someone who knows someone who knows Bill Bailey, should I, do you think I can get my sitcom script to him? And you sort of think, well, even if you can, what are the chances of him doing it? Whereas if you 
happen to know someone who knows Bill Bailey and say, look, I've got an idea for a two-minute sketch, which is perfect for Bill Bailey, and it'll take him half a day to make, um, he may consider it. Uh, I'm not I'm not Bill Bailey's agent, so I can't say that. I'm just yeah. plucking a name out of the air. Yeah. But actually, if you'd asked the Bill Bailey of you know, in, in 1999, 2000, mm-hmm. he might have said yes to it. Yeah. Um, so you want to be thinking, who are those people in the future going to be? Hmm. Yep, and so the main thing, of course, uh, mentioning the technology is better and that it's easier to get hold of people, but that script has got to be good, and that's uh, that, That's what we're here for, I suppose, really. Yeah, so you've watched... Have you noticed, therefore, that is that the thing that's, that tends to let people down on all the stuff that you've been watching? That mostly, yes. I've seen some beautiful camera work, I've seen some dazzling performances... But I haven't always seen a strong script, and uh, the, the, the strong scripts do stand out. They really do. And, it, and that in, it, in a way, it's worth thinking that the usual rules of sketches apply. You're not trying mm. to make a mini film. You're not even trying to make a short film, mm. really. You're trying to write a sketch and make a sketch, and a sketch is about one idea. Yeah. And it is well, and and then just executing that idea. There's a really good one made by Dave Armand. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's called Special Forces or something like right. that. I will try and put a link to it. And it's all based on one comic observation, which I remember thinking to myself, the moment I saw it, I thought, oh, I've often thought that and never done it. Yeah. Where you've got two commando troops, one of whom is giving these sort of hand gestures that you see in films, and the other one just has no idea what the other one's trying to say to him. Right. And so Dave then starts acting it out as to what he wants them to do, and it just gets more and more ridiculous. Yeah. One really simple idea. If you're being brutal, you could take 40 seconds out of that sketch, and it would still be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one idea executed really well. Yeah. How animals eat their food. One idea executed yeah. really well. It's just eight, nine jokes on mm-hmm. that um, I think Gap Year became a TV series, didn't it, recently? But that, that started out as a sort of as a, sim- a simple, single joke, posh person in Thailand. Hey, I want my Gap Year. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and that, that became a thing. And before it even became a TV show, people were sort of saying that expression, yeah. weren't they? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would echo your desire for the script to be tight because I'm always when I occasionally get sent hey please look at our sketch mm. and I always want it to be brilliant so that I can share it and it it's normally let down by this is not one clear simple idea that is well executed this is ponderous and slow this is confusing this mm. is well shot but yeah. ultimately I don't really know why I'm watching this mm. I read a lot of sketches as well and a lot of sketches have got a very good idea a good twist but you need two twists you need a twist and your sketch oh what if um the parrot they bought was dead then there has to be a second twist in fact bad bad example there because i don't think the, the parrot sketch had a second twist. the second twist of monty python sketches is always haha we can't think of them so we'll just go yeah. and get a lumberjack to walk so watch, watch the two ronnies yeah um what's the twist oh it's a pub that stopped selling beer and now sells mineral water mm. So he runs through the list of waters. Oh, and at the end, he's drinking a pint of beer. Hang on, I thought he said he didn't have any beer. Oh, well, we've got to wash the glasses and something, haven't we? So yeah. there you go. You know, that's kind of a... As they used to put at the end. Mm. Of, um, but it really helps to have yeah. one of those. And that's the hard. That's where the real hard work goes. Yeah. 
that's if you if you're struggling to think of what that thing is, that's yeah. that's correct because yeah. it is a struggle. Yeah. And I would say until you have that thing, you don't have anything. Mm. You don't actually have a sketch worth filming unless you've got that ending because you're not going to think of it on the day. It may well be that you think of something and on the day you think of something better. Yeah. But if you go in with something on the day and you don't have it, you 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 won't find it. Um, in my experience. And uh, last last point on that is listen to the pin sketch shows and mm. listen to john finnamore's souvenir program yeah. there are sketch shows that have um twists at the end of the sketch as well as at the beginning yes and even john is now so accomplished that he can get away without doing that mm-hmm. but he very rarely does get away without doing it he yeah. normally just goes here is the premise of the sketch here are all the jokes on the sketch, and here's a lovely subversion at the end, and we are done. And this is as nerdy as I've become, is I actually uh, went through an entire episode of John Finnamore's souvenir sketch show, putting, uh, going through all the sketches, working out what the first twist was and the second twist, and I'd say about of the 15 or 13 sketches, I'd say probably about nine of them had a second twist and four of them sort of sneaked away without it. yes. Cheated. Yeah. 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 So um, those are our thoughts on sketches and then get them up. Um, I just, just don't be in a rush to put them up. I would be absolutely brutal with, could this sketch be shorter? Could this be edited tighter? Is this grabbing people? You've got 10 seconds mm-hmm. before they go, oh, this is boring. <clears throat> and if you're trying to build a world or establish something in 10 seconds you're going to have to work out a way of, of, of grabbing them harder and faster mm. um, and grabbing them with both hands rather than stroking them gently with yeah. one hand. It's, we're talking metaphorically, by the yes, way. Yes, that's right, yeah. So, don't physically uh, grab strangers from your TV Yes, screen. that is very much frowned upon. <laughs> um, so those would be our thoughts. Uh, and talking of which, um, grabbing people earlier, one of the things that we find in our first 10 pages mm. when we have people come through and send us their first 10 pages, is that the story doesn't start till about page 8 or 9, when you really want it to be starting on page 2 or 3. So um, that's something to bear in mind as we slightly unveil our new 10-page challenge, which is going to be for subscribers via Mm. Patreon. Yes, we uh, did um, have a 10-page challenge that we ran uh, earlier in the uh, history of the sitcom geeks, way back way back when and we re- and we did about 40 or 50 of them I think yeah, or at least we, the, yeah. we got through a lot the vast majority of them some of them we still haven't quite got to but we are as we say we are relaunching now and we do promise that this time around we will actually genuinely yes. read them all and we will do podcasts and we if, will talk yes, about them if you are a Patreon subscriber Mm. So if you subscribe via Patreon, um, then um, then you can send us your first 10 pages and we will do a special episode in which we make sure we cover your script and a few others or you know something like that. So that is the is if further inducement were needed to support Sitcom Geeks, uh, go for the 10-page uh, challenge. Uh, so if you look on the um, Patreon page, then you can see um, about the other amazing benefits, including uh, my book, Writing That Sitcom, and Dave's book. Well, in fact, yes, I've got a new book, which I'm in the process of uh, doing now, which is, uh, it's got a new title, in fact, it's called Funny Up, and it's about funnying up whatever you uh, want to write, really, whether it's your sketch, 
your two-minute sketch or your sitcom or your stand-up material. In fact, I'm going to be doing some courses as well for writing if you want to uh, check out davecohen.org.uk um, writing uh, comedy for a living uh, page and the uh, details are all there. But yes, so that, that that's going to be hopefully coming out in the next uh, few weeks. Well, that's an e-book. Yeah. So um, look out for those. And uh, so I think our time has escaped. We've done, mm-hmm. we've packed a lot into this one. Yeah. So um, that's uh, all very exciting. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you, James. And we will speak to you again on the next episode. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.